I feel like I need to be okay with the fact that I am largely the product of programming and context and history that's not been restful. There are going to be a lot of days when I feel exhausted and yet I feel like I've done nothing and therefore don't qualify to have rest. And that's not because of me, but that's a a function of history and experience. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent. This is where high achievers and leaders come to work healthier, not harder. Where hustle culture zigs, we zag, so you can thrive in your career, health, and relationships. My name is Carly Fain. I'm a celebrity business and boundary coach, and whether I'm working with Grammy award-winning artists, professional athletes, Fortune 50 CEOs, or just folks that enjoy both progress and the present moment, my intention is to make sure that you have both a doable plan and the roots to rise. Why, hey there. How you doing? It's your gal Carly over here. I am so happy to be with you for this episode of Messy and Magnificent. And this season we're doing is we create a roadmap for rest and regeneration for high achievers. Just the other day, my girlfriend sent me a text message acting if I'd like to join her for a walk. And I'm looking out my office window. The sun is shining. My legs were stiff from sitting at the computer all morning. And of course I wanted to go. But my first thought often sounds something like this. Are you kidding me? I've got too much work to do. Can you relate to that? Does the work you're doing ever feel like you're tethered (laughs) to the job? Maybe you work for yourself and you know that if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. Maybe you work for somebody else or a larger organization that dictates when you get to take breaks, whether you're seated at a desk or you're standing, if you're doing rounds in a school or a medical building or a place of worship, whatever it is, you find yourself pushing through your body's desire to have some wiggle room. And that tug of war feeling between knowing we need to stretch, we need to have some room to breathe, and also we want to be dedicated to what it is we're doing can feel like it's pulling us in multiple directions. We want to take a break, but work. Maybe you want (laughs) to do something fun and go for that walk or grab a cup of tea with a friend or catch up on a phone call, but the kids. You want to, but you've already committed to something else you don't really want to do. You know, Dave Glisson was reporting way back in 2011 that work has been creeping into our non-work time for well over the last decade. And we know that these figures have only gone up since COVID. But let's just look at purely emails, for example. When he did a survey of digital overtime, he found that 22% of people who email are expected to respond to work emails when they're not at work. 50% of people check their work emails on the weekends. 46% of people check email on sick days. And 34% of people check work emails while on vacation. And you know, these stats, they remind me of why many of my clients feel like a little too often they're pushing away the invitation to joy. They're pushing away the invitation to peace in their life. They're pushing away the rest they know that they need because culturally 
the norm is to do the most. So today, we get to sit with this for a moment. And if you're wondering what doorways might open up if we could actually say yes to more of the things we really wanted to be doing, you're in the right conversation. Because us high achievers, we're really good at considering the cost of not doing work. Maybe our productivity might fall behind. Maybe somebody would be disappointed or think that we're not committed. It might lead to having more work to catch up on later on. But here's the thing. The folks who are able to navigate out of the necessary beginning hustle mentality that opens doors into a more sustainable long-term working strategy, they know that there's also a price we pay for not resting. I call it the no relax tax and it's way steep. (laughs) It's a very high tax. In our work culture, our unpaid labor culture and all the roles we perform as mothers and spouses and friends and neighbors and volunteers A lot of that work is rooted in patterns of exploitation and exhaustion. One person whose work I have been loving to follow and support is Trisha Hershey. She's the founder of the NAP Ministry. I highly recommend you checking her out. And just know any person or research study that I mentioned on the show, there's a link to it in the show notes if you want a shortcut to learning more. But Trisha Hershey said, quote, rest is anything that connects your mind and body. And then she went on to say, My rest as a black woman in America suffering from generational exhaustion and racial trauma always was a political refusal and social justice uprising within my body. I took to rest and naps and slowing down as a way to save my life, resist the systems telling me to do more, and most importantly, as a remembrance to my ancestors who had their dream space stolen for them. Trisha says, rest pushes back and disrupts a system that views human bodies as a tool for production and labor. It's a counter narrative. We know that we are not machines. We are divine, end quote. So what if you could find a way to take back a little more control? What if you could stop automatically defaulting to no, there's no way I could ever have the time for that, even in the face of a busy day? What if you could take just one step away from the paradigm that's convinced you that the only choice we have is to say no to joy more often than we say yes? It sounds good, right? But if you're like me and a lot of people, the first question is, yeah, but how do I even go about doing that? I've got a lot on my plate. Well, this week, I got to gather with one of my favorite humans, Faith Clark. She's an organizational health and inclusion specialist, and through her work, she provides important cultural and historical context to how we navigate the rules of society, shedding some necessary light that explains how this conditioning affects us and what to do about it. So in this episode, we unpack the reasons why you might be working so hard and resting so little, and we're going to start to look at your time and commitments in a different way, finding more opportunities and pockets for rest. You'll also hear how Faith constructs what she calls an imaginary world, where rules can be broken, and using this space as an exercise to creatively find more respite. So if you're ready, in the words of faith, to feel like you have more control over the circumstances calling for your attention, then this is the episode for you. Specifically, you're going to hear a few main things. Number one, how the constructs built around our body affects our ability to rest. Number two, playing with the rules in order to figure out how to break them safely without messing up the good stuff. Number three, what it could look like to find pockets of respite 
that already exist in your life that are ready for the taking? And then how to invite others into the privilege of the respite you do have? And finally, perhaps one of the most important takeaways for me from this episode is reversing the narrative of a zero-sum game. Now, if you haven't caught it already, before we dive into this interview, I want to make sure you know that there are two really important tools that will help take what you learn here to an entirely deeper and more applicable level. So the first is I've created a roadmap for rest and regeneration. This is a guidebook that accompanies this season, and it takes you through a very customized journey specific to you from busy to balance. It's deep and it's powerful, and it is full of joy and practical insights from all the guests from this season. So give yourself the respect you deserve. Go right now, download it. It's on my website, carlyfane.com forward slash podcast. It's totally free. This will be the lamp in the ladder on your path to more rest. I promise you big ahas as you write into this guidebook. And then second, if you're catching this episode before January 22nd, 2023, Go on over to the same spot, carlyfane.com forward slash podcast and RSVP to come join me for one of our signature podcast pajama parties. This is going to be an opportunity for us to gather in person together for a special workshop with some of my favorite friends and thought leaders. You will walk away feeling restored and inspired. And also, this is totally free. It's a way for me to hear what's true in your world and speak to what matters most to you. All right. Now get cozy wherever you are. Because this conversation you're about to hear with Faith is deeply restorative. As it relates to rest in this conversation we're going to have, what in your head or your heart wants to be heard, Faith? And I knew you were asking this question and still I feel, I feel stumped. <laughs> I feel like I need to be okay with the fact that I am largely the product of programming and context and history that's not been restful. Therefore, I will define my need for rest in really skewed ways. And I have to kind of own that, that, you know, that there are going to be a lot of days when I feel exhausted and yet I feel like I've done nothing. And therefore don't qualify to have rest. And that's not because of me, but that's a, a function of history and experience and, you know, all the things. So I need to give myself permission to go against even what I feel when it comes to this matter of rest. If that was the only thing I heard all month long. That would be enough to be powerfully transformative for me. And I'm sure for those listening as well, Faith, thank you for being here. We're going to jump right into the good stuff. We always do when you're in the room. Like I had other questions and then I think they all floated out the window with what you just brought forward. Because <laughs> so, what you just said, and it's something I've heard you allude to before, but I would love to have a richer context. You have this beautiful way of explaining how the roots of our corporate culture, our work culture, and our unpaid labor culture, you know, the jobs we do as mothers, spouses, friends, neighbors, volunteers, is really rooted in this pattern of the exploitation and the exhaustion of the working person or working peoples. And I'm curious for you, 
where you trace that back from when you say I'm, you know, I'm unlearning these things that have been part, I'm the byproduct of an over exerting culture, where you trace that back from what your understanding is of where that all began and, and what we're untangling here. I think that the untangling is really a continuous process, right? That you could trace it back as far as you can see. And when you get there, it goes further back. <laughs> so I'll just talk about today's tracing back. This morning, I opened um, social media and a friend and colleague of mine, Giovanna, Dr. Giovanna Washington, said, I have internalized the colonialist construct that Black bodies mean labor. And this is why I don't rest easy. Like she said, I'm like, did you know I was going to be talking about rest today? And I was like, I have internalized the colonialist construct that black bodies mean labor. And this is why I don't rest easy. It's the owning that as an Afro-Caribbean immigrant, woman, mother of uh, humans with neurodistinctiveness, mother of a son with a disability, I see myself as somebody who is able to work hard. And I do. I therefore thoroughly throw myself into all the things that are important to me. Many of these are things that will not produce income to me, although they are valuable, but they're not going to be valued in the systems that I'm a part of because in the colonialist structures, I am lower down on the totem pole of value. And although we have said no to these systems, these systems are in the water. And so when I think about how often I say I need rest, but I feel unproductive and like, it's not just that I feel unproductive, it's that what I spend my time doing doesn't show up as income in my bank account. I have to do so much more work for there to be actual coins in the bank account, while I also have to do so much more work to mediate the societal issues that affect my children and affect my mother and affect all the knowledge that has been missing. So when I'm tracing this back in this moment, it's the recognition that one day I'll write a book called Swimming in Treacle. It's, it's the recognition that we are swimming, but the water is like, this is what muscles do I need to be able to navigate? So then when you think about rest in the middle of that, there is a real fear that, well, if I stop, I will be sucked in. What's the price of stopping versus the price of moving on when um, I wrote a poem called The Back Woman, carrying her children on her back? Like, what's, what's the price of not moving forward? Knowing that all of this is the, the way that I'm thinking about it, it it's, a, it's a self-sustaining system. Interrupting it, is, for me anyway, has had to mean stepping out of it because it, 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 it repeats on its, there is no, they like people I work with in organizations supporting their teams. And in many cases, people say, so how do we make sure that our policies, our DEI policy, blah, 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 is implemented? I'm like, it's, it's not that way. In many ways, you have to step out of it and create a mini world where there are different rules. So you get to play with what are these different rules? Because in the world you're in, 
breaking one of those rules means drowning, means death, and means financial ruin. You know, we were talking this week about some of these rules about humans in the workplace, and we want to be restorative, but we have to acknowledge that the system we're in, when you break one of these rules, the system falls apart. It's not forgiving. So we do have to, I have had to construct mini worlds where I get to play with the rules and build my capacity to know what could be restful, what could be restorative, what, you know, what could be, and then to even notice when I, when I am not playing enough in those new worlds, when I, you know, to notice, to pay attention to when I need, I need, I need more imaginative play here to figure that out versus my participation in, in the space we're in. This episode is brought to you by the Boundary Academy. This is, of course, I've had the honor to found and lead for years with a diverse council of boundary makers. So if you're tired of being tired and you're ready for more time, clarity, and joy, I hope you'll check it out at carlyfane.com. For the first time ever, you don't have to wait for enrollment. You can begin in the Boundary Academy right now and go at your own pace starting today. I hope you don't wait another moment to join women around the world and reclaim your best work, living, health, and relationships too. That visual, I'm such a visual thinker, and that visual of, okay, I am part of a world that is existing at a certain pace with a certain set of rules and expectation, a world that maybe not maybe, that has absolutely been built for thousands of years and many generations to operate in a very specific way that favors the cisgendered white patriarchal view, right? That in that colonial supremacist perspective. And so that idea of, okay, this is the world I find myself in. This is the world I have been brought up in. I have been trained and cultivated to operate by these rules. What world could I also reside in, even just for a moment, to get my bearings and figure out what rules apply in my own world or this alternate world. That to me is so powerful because I think of how tricky it is to change something when we're in it, we're doing it. How hard it is, to, what's the cliche, like to see the, the see the tree through the forest or see the forest through the tree. But to have that perspective, that invitation you're giving to lean back and have perspective. And so I'm so curious, how could that look? Like, how does you say for you, it's been such an important practice? Like, what does that look like? So the concept I get, like practically as somebody who's got plenty on your plate, how do you find a pocket for this other world where you get to play with the rules or consider what rules make sense for you? What does that look like? Years and years ago, what it looked like was separation from spaces that felt completely toxic. Spaces that were less toxic, but manageably were like, okay, kind of hanging out here. And then within those spaces, looking for where I had influence and owning my power to really create what I could. So in a practical way, that meant, I'll use education because I, I have a long history of being in, in school, of te teaching at K through 12 and graduate, undergrad and graduate level education. So I homeschooled my kids. And homeschooling for me was a construction of an alternate reality because I gave myself permission. Like I, I, I have a curriculum collection problem, but I don't use the curriculum that I buy. But I, it's almost like 
I want to see what the rules are so I can break them. (laughs) (laughs) And so homeschooling was this, like, if I wanted to facilitate thought in my children, what would I do? And then if I wanted to not do this at my own price, how would I do it? Oh, we would start homeschooling at 10. And we would do it whenever we chose. That for me was an example of grabbing the thing that was in front of me and saying, okay, I can be in control of this. In terms like I see a lot of parents with after school activities and they're saying, these are things that are required for children to be do well in college. And whereas I was like, what pleases both my heart and my children's heart and will set themselves up, set them up to be thinkers in the world. And that won't hurt us because if, if, if I'm driving all over the place and doing things that don't feel good to me, then that's going to hurt me, which is going to hurt them. It was a place to safely practice the not zero sum game, the collaborative you know, thing. And when I started my own business, similarly, I was working with other people at the time. I also was teaching and I did all the other traditional things alongside creating these projects and opportunities to take control and then implement a different way of being. And I think even when I, in my business, when I was designing how I served clients, I noticed, oh, I think I should be serving clients this way because this is how I'm told. I said, but what if I did it this way because it feels good in my heart? And so I think this is constantly listening to that tension. And, and for me, it's tightness in the chest, tightness in my shoulders that comes when I'm like, mm, this is the way I'm supposed to be doing it. And it's like, okay, what that tightness means there's a should here. Do I have enough freedom and is it safe for me to experiment with what's the other way? And I think the more I experiment with this and build the capacity around it, the more I'm able to do it in harder spaces, the more I'm able to have more courage and faith. Because late last year, I said to people, I'm going to cut down on my teaching. So then I cut down on my teaching because it didn't feel nourishing. I love being in the classroom and I love the interaction with humans. And there are many other aspects of academia that does not feel nourishing. So I said, okay, let's cut it down. And then there are consequences of that because that uh, being seen in the academic space gave me a certain kind of notoriety. And as a black woman, I always feel like I need to do all I can to get the notoriety because it, I don't, I don't perceive it coming to me naturally. Letting go of uh, being seen in those academic ways, including stopping my doctoral program, feels like a big risk to me. And so while, I, but I'm able to kind of hold that risk. And also say, but it it wasn't nourishing me. It wasn't restful to me. My mind was constantly in turmoil while I was doing it. But I think you have to practice in the small spaces that you have influence. And you have it's like you have to be persistent with looking for these small spaces. Where? Where am I going to practice this? Where? What's the tiny plot of grass right here that I can practice this in? Well, and what you said was that was just it. This phrase of where do I have enough freedom and it's safe to practice this? Like that to me is the gateway to everything you're describing, your ability to do this with large scale decisions right now. Like you said, like I am going to pause, perhaps end my doctoral process. Like I, after years of doing it, I'm realizing in this moment doesn't serve me. I'm not getting what I value out of this doesn't make sense. And that's a big decision. And I, it sounds like that was built upon this practice you have of 
where do I have enough freedom to have purview and where is it safe? And I think something about that is so honest and approachable, you know, for somebody who's listening, who's going, okay, yeah, of course I want to have more rest, but maybe I'm a single mom or I'm the main breadwinner in my household and my workplace is toxic, but I have to put food on the table. So like how, right? And that idea of, yes, all of that is true. And can we put on like our, our deepest looking glasses for the small pockets where we do have freedom and it is safe? What would that look like? Like, which I don't know, for me, I think of like, there were moments where that looked like being in a corporate environment and lingering in the bathroom for two extra minutes just to breathe, <laughs> like, and hiding in the stall and being like, while I'm in here, no one's going to talk to me. And I'm just going to be here for two extra minutes hanging out. And that was two extra minutes of getting my thoughts together, right? Which, which added up. But I, you also mentioned something that I would be remiss to glaze over, which is the awareness of, of privilege in that, right? And that for some of us to have the privilege to say, I'm going to walk away from this person, this project that whatever is, is available right now, especially, you know, for our, for our white listeners who have all sorts of opportunity and, and this awareness that it can't just be about self either. That if we have the privilege to claim some respite, to get our thoughts together, to think about what it is that gives us life, that's important and essential and the awareness of community too. That it's both like, how do I do that? Because you said, and not harm other people in the process. And I think too, um, there's also, you know, how do I do that and invite others into what I can do easily? There's a, a lot, people know me to talk a lot. I'm quite open and authentic in, in the stories I tell. And I do that because I know that everybody can't. And I do it because I know that my voice is one story that illustrates other people's stories as well. And I think similarly, if I step into a space with ease or I make a decision with ease and I talk about it, I'm part of the thing I'm conscious of is inviting others into that with the, the safety I can provide by being a person who's done it. Somebody I listened to at a workshop said she gets to a meeting and she cannot be ignored. She's a tall black woman and she wears like six inch heels. So by the time she steps into the room, everybody's seen her, right? And she has hair down to hair and she's wearing a bright pink suit. And then, but once she's gotten the attention, she's looking to see who has no attention. And then she's like, she goes over. And I think whether metaphorically or physically, there has to be that I have privilege in this moment. Faith has privilege that allows faith to be able to do this thing. Who else can I invite into some more of this rest in whatever way? And that sometimes is just by going alongside people, just kind of move close because there's something magical about when we have capacity and we move close to another person with less capacity. We don't lose any capacity, but they gain some capacity just by somebody leaning close. I mean, there we go. It's we don't lose capacity, especially when we've given ourselves the opportunities to bolster capacity. Like I think of those moments where, you know, recently I was at a wedding and and there was one bored person across the table, or I, I imagined that they were bored. And, and I made up in my head that they were bored because they didn't know anybody else at the table. And everyone's talking and reminiscing. And this is somebody's spouse who doesn't know anybody. And on most days, that's where my attention goes. It's like, hey, let's talk. How are you? What brought you here? What, what interests you? And I was fatigued that day. I was exhausted that day. And I just didn't have in me to like 
to engage in the way I normally would. And after the wedding, I was kind of reflecting on that of, man, I really wish I could have shown up more for that person. I could have been, you know, calling them in more. And it was such a testament to why the bolstering of our capacity is actually an incredibly generous thing. Like when I have capacity, because I've gotten rest, because I have the extra energy. As an introvert, I need a little extra energy in order to have something, you know, else to put out there. There's more to give, you know, there's more to give. And I think part of what has fascinated me, me about your work and within the DEI world too, when you came into the Boundary Academy and you spoke with us is this inclusion of self and inclusion of other. Like it's this, it's this both. And I don't see you asking us to be extremists of either you're always thinking about others or you're always thinking about yourself, but there's this like weaving that you're doing of where's both, where's the interplay, where's the dance you and I were talking about, like that dance, yesterday we were talking about the dance between the chaos and the, and the beauty, right? Like how do I tango, you know, or merengue or like whatever, whatever it is, whatever it is we dance. I think that part of the colonizer or supremacist structure is the zero sum game. Somebody wins and therefore someone loses. It's in everything. I give this up to get this. I'm trying to be behind the things that I'm giving up as not I'm giving it up, but I am actually pursuing this thing. And yes, I let this thing go to pursue this thing, right? And so how then do I weave that thought process into all this? Is like, for example, this conversation that you are not, you're actually not not helping this person when you and they're sitting alone at the in the at the wedding when you give yourself rest your rest itself adds value in that very moment to the space that person benefits from your rest itself right there now if you have capacity and you are already rested and you reach out, then that person benefits from you reaching out. It's it's like we, we actually don't have to lose. Even when we're in these kind of symbiotic experiences, it's not a lose so that somebody else wins. And that's a sneaky, pervasive, it's a difficult one to unearth because it, that kind of transactional way of doing life and business is built into everything. What a powerful move it would be for us all, myself and anyone listening to be aware of where am I accidentally assuming the zero sum here or the binary, the this or the that, the either I'm dedicated or I'm lazy, I'm committed or I'm non-responsive. Wait a minute. Like, what if it's not one or the other? Like, what does it look like to, to gently weave in all of those things? And how could it be of service to other when I'm rested? And how can... I be active so somebody else can rest. Like, what what does that look like? Oh, Faith, thank you for bringing us more perspective. I want to talk with you all day, which is how I always feel. So this is why I'm really thankful that hopefully you and I get a lifelong conversation going here. Before we let you go, would you be willing to play our two-way Q&A? Sure. Okay. First question, number one. I'm so excited to hear what you're going to say. Today, if you came with a warning label, what would your warning label say? Unraveling and becoming. It's like, watch out, unraveling and becoming. Like, you, don't, you just don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> unraveling and becoming. Yeah, watch out. I love that. Well, I will be watching. I want to see what happens as you unravel and become. Yes, please. And it's wild. I did another interview earlier today with Meredith Brisson for this season, and she talked about untangling. Untangling. And you're unraveling and she's untangling, and, and I'm like, 
I'm right there with it. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, so here's my second question. Based on what you and I are talking about, for a person listening, what would you ask them? What are you curious about what the person listening right now is hearing? Curious about the invitation to joy, to bliss, to peace that that's been pushed to the side persistently. I'm curious about what what that might be. And it might seem like it's irrelevant, right? It's just rubbish things. It's it's this plant behind me that I feel excited when I look at, oh, it has some more leaves. It could be something trivial, but I, I, I'm curious about what the invitation to joy is that you're pushing aside because of the important things. And I wonder what doorways that could open up if we could talk about the invitation to joy that's being pushed aside. I would love to know the answer to that. Like for that not to be a rhetorical question, if you're listening, you know, go to the show notes, be in touch with Faith and I, you know, let's have that conversation. I want to know what lights you up, what brings you joy, pleasure, meaning, as you were saying. All right, Faith, here's my last question. Even if other people disagree, what is one thing you know to be true? Even if other people disagree, I know that it is possible to create integrated communities where we all feel honored for our differences, regardless of what they are. And we all get to participate in what the community is doing and contribute to the whole. I haven't seen it yet, but I know it's possible. May we create more of what it is we want to see in the world, right? May we create that. And Faith, I know that you are a contributor to that, to the creation of community that is inclusive and where everybody gets to contribute and be part of the whole. Thank you for being with us so much. Thank you, Carly. Always lovely. So life-giving to me every time we talk. Thank you. (sighs) Well, there it is. The gift of Faith Clark. Her perspective on understanding how the cultures we raised in value rest and how that influences all is so important to repairing our overwork systems. Did you hear the question she asked? She said, what invitation to joy, bliss, or peace have you been pushing to the side persistently? I hope that you'll share the answer with that to me via review on iTunes so that I can give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. I want to hear what's true in your world and definitely go connect with Faith. She's at faithclark.com. I'll put a link to all of her contact info right here in the show notes. And remember, you thrive through nourishment, not punishment. Keep taking care of what you value, including the world you want to be living and working in. And I'll see you next week when I dive in with Anita Martins as she flips the tables and interviews me on the subject of rest. We're going to talk candidly about why high achievers wrestle with rest and why our fear of rest is counterproductive and what those who find the path to rest have learned to do about it. I am so thankful that you are part of this messy and certainly magnificent community. Each episode here is only the beginning of our lifelong conversation together. Head on over to carlyfane.com for the full show notes from this episode and some extra special resources for high achievers that you won't find anywhere else.